Volume One, Chapter Two of Say and Seal by Susan and Anna Warner. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two. The next day was Saturday. The morning opened with gray clouds covering the sky, but which were light and light broken, and promised to roll away entirely as soon as the sun should reach a commanding position in the heavens. The sun, however, was still quite distant from such a position, in fact was not much more than an hour high, when Lucinda, who was sweeping the front door steps, was hailed from the front door by a person not one of the party of the preceding evening, and very unlike either of them. It was a lady, not young, of somewhat small figure, trim and nicely dressed. Indeed, she was rather handsomely dressed, and in somewhat French taste. She had showy gold earrings in her ears, and a head much more in the mode than either Mrs. Derrick's or her daughter's. The face of this lady was plain, decidedly, but redeemed by a look of sense and shrewdness altogether unmixed with ill-nature. The voice spoke alert and pleasantly. "'So, Lucindy, you had company last night, didn't you?' "'Maybe we did, and maybe we didn't,' said Lucindy, brushing away with great energy at an imaginary bit of lint at the end of the upper step. "'I don't know, but we'd just as good call him one of the family.' "'So much at home already? I missed seeing him last night. I couldn't get home. What's he like, Cindy, and what has he done?' "'Done,' said Cindy. "'Well, he's went out almost afore I was up. "'As to like, Miss Dilly, just you look at him when he comes in. "'He looks some like folks, and yet he don't neither.' "'He's out, is he?' "'Yes,' said Cindy, reducing a large family of spiders to temporary starvation and despair. "'He's out, if he ain't gone in nowheres. "'Miss Dilly, if you'll just stand inside the door, I can wash the steps just as well.' "'What's the gentleman out so early for? "'Maybe he's missed some of his luggage, Cindy.' "'Hope he ain't got no more without it the lighter,' said Cindy. However, he carried it upstairs himself, I'm free to confess. I guessed twan't for luggage he went out, cause he asked about breakfast time special. If he means to be out till then, he'll have a good walk of it. It wanted five minutes of breakfast time, and Mrs. Derrick, what was stepping into the kitchen to oversee Cindy, and stepping to the front window to oversee the street, was warm enough for a cooler morning. Faith, she said, referring as usual to her daughter, Faith, what shall we do if he don't come? I guess he'll come, mother, he knows the time. The things won't hurt much by waiting a little." As she spoke, the little front gate swung softly to, and the person in question came leisurely up the steps and into the hall. Then, having just glanced into the parlour, he at once, with a promptitude which bespoke him too punctual himself to doubt the punctuality of others, advanced to the dining-room door and walked in. Mrs. Derrick's face showed gratification mingled with her good nature. Faith smiled, and Miss Dilly was duly introduced as Miss Delia Danforth, Mrs. Derrick's aunt, then on a visit at Patacoasset. "'You've taken an early stroll this morning, sir,' said this last lady. "'View the country?' "'No,' said Mr. Linden. "'I have been viewing the town.' "'Ah, well, I call that viewing the country. Town and country all's one here, and it makes a very pleasant sort of place. But what do you call the town, sir? Do you drink coffee?' "'The town,' said Mr. Linden, in answer to the first question, receiving his coffee-cup from Mrs. Derrick by way of answer to the second, "'means in this instance, Miss Stamforth, that spot of country which is most thickly settled. Yes, ma'am, I drink coffee.' "'Very bad for you, sir, don't you know it?' "'Bad for me as one of the human race, or as an individual specially marked out not to drink it.' "'Dear me,' said Miss Danforth, sipping her own tea, "'I don't know what you are marked out for. I think it's a mistake for everybody to think he is marked for something special. They set the mark themselves, and generally it don't fit.' "'But the fact that a man often gets the wrong mark by no means proves that there is no right one which belongs to him,' said Mr. Linden, looking gravely at Faith, as if he meant she should smile. Faith seemed to look at the question, however, rather seriously, for dropping her knife and fork she asked, "'How shall a man know his mark?' "'By earnest consideration and prayer,' he answered, really grave this time. "'I know of no other way, Miss Faith.' 
What a remark that was! It silenced the whole table. Knives and forks and spoons had it alone, with only words of necessity, till Faith asked Mr. Linden if he would not have another cup of coffee. "'Certainly,' he said, handing her his cup. "'There is so much to be said on both sides of that little bit of china. I must not be partial in my attention.' "'But you can't study both sides of a subject at once,' said the coffee-hater. "'Then take them alternately, and, figuratively, walk round your coffee-cup, surveying its fair proportions from different points of view. If the coffee is strong and you are nervous, that's one thing. Again, if the coffee be weak and you be phlegmatic, that's another.' "'The coffee's not strong to-day,' said Mrs. Derrick, with a regretful shake of her head. "'Nor am I phlegmatic,' with the slightest possible indication of a smile. "'Do you think,' said Miss Danforth, "'a man is better able to decide questions of common judgment for having studied a great deal—learned a great many things, I mean?' "'That depends very much upon what effect his studies have had upon his judgment. Mrs. Derrick, are you trying to break me off from coffee by degrees? This cup has no sugar in it.' "'Oh, my!' said Mrs. Derrick, coloring up in the greatest confusion. "'I do beg your pardon, sir. Faith, take the sugar-bowl, child, and pick out some large lumps.' "'You will get more praise from Miss Danforth than blame from me, ma'am,' said Mr. Linden, submitting his cup to Faith's amendment and watching the operation. "'I don't know,' said Miss Danforth good-humouredly. "'Maybe he can stand it. If he takes two cups, I should say he can. How do you like the profession of teaching, sir?' Now, to say truth, Mr. Linden did not know, not by actual practice, but it was also a truth which he did not feel bound to disclose. He therefore stirred his coffee with a good deal of deliberation, and even tasted it, before he replied, "'What would you say to me, Miss Danforth, if I professed to be fond of teaching some people some things? Miss Faith, that last lump of sugar was potent.' "'What sort of people, and what sort of things, for instance?' said the lady. "'The things I know best, and the people who think they know least, for instance,' he replied. "'I should say you know definitions,' was Miss Danforth's again good-humoured rejoinder. "'What did you say was the matter with the sugar, sir?' said Faith. "'I said it was potent, Miss Faith, or I might have said powerful. But indeed it was not the sugar's fault. The difficulty was there was not enough coffee to counterbalance it. "'I put in too much,' said Faith, making a regretful translation of this polite speech. "'Yes,' said Mr. Linden, with great solemnity, as he set down the empty cup. "'But too much sugar is at least not a common misfortune. With what appreciation I shall look back to this some day when I have not enough. What did you think of the sunrise this morning?' "'Do you mean because the sky was covered with clouds?' said Faith. "'But there was enough. The sun looked through, and the colors were beautiful. Did you see them?' "'I wonder when you did, child,' said Miss Danforth, up to your elbows in butter. "'Yes, I saw them. Then you are true to your name, Miss Faith, and find enough in a cloudy sky. Pray, Miss Danforth, what depth of butter does a churning yield in this region?' "'I guess,' said Miss Danforth, laughing. "'You never saw much of a farmer's work, did you?' "'Is butter-making farmer's work?' said Mr. Linden, with a face of grave inquiry. "'Here's the trustees,' said Cindy, opening at the door. "'At least that's what they said they be, but I'm free to confess tain't nobody but Squire Deacons and Parson Summers.' "'Do they want me?' said Mr. Linden, looking round. "'I guess likely,' said Cindy. "'The squire does come here to see Miss Faith, but I guess tain't her he wants this time.' And Cindy vanished. "'What do the trustees want?' said Miss Danforth. "'Upon the testimony of Cinderella they want me,' said Mr. Linden. "'Miss Faith, may I have a glass of water?' "'What they want to do with me, Miss Danforth, is a little uncertain.' "'Well,' said Miss Danforth, "'I think you'll be able to prevent them.' He rose to take the glass from Faith's hand, and then, merely inquiring whether the ladies were coming to second him, left the room. Pastor Summers was a young-looking, good-looking, affable gentleman, who pressed the ladies' hands very cordially and was very happy to see them. Squire Deacon was younger, and likewise good-looking, but affability he had never been charged with. Over the handsome cut of face, the strong, well-built figure, he wore a manner as rough as a bear's greatcoat, 
only at some times, and for some people, the roughness was brushed down. It never would stay, any more than the various elegant phrases with which Deacon sometimes seasoned his speech, would take root there and spread. "'Quite an agreeable variation,' said Mr. Summers, ha, in such a place as Patacoset, to have a new arrival among us. Mr. Linden, I hope you will like our little town. You have a pleasant experience of us to begin with.' "'Yes, but Parson, don't make him think we're all like some.' said Squire Deacon, and as he turned towards Faith, the beaming of his face seemed almost reflected in his brass buttons. "'Dreadful gloomy morning, Miss Faith.' "'Mr. Linden has probably seen too much of the world,' said Mr. Summers, not to know that, ah, too great a preponderance of good is not to be looked for. "'May as well look for as much as you can find,' said Miss Danforth. "'A good deal's lost by not looking for it.' "'Ah,' said the Squire, with another glance at Faith, "'it's not so hard to find things, neither, Miss Danforth.' You remember Sinbad the sailor looking down into the Vale of Diamonds? Don't remember him a bit. What did he see there? Nothing but diamond jewelry, said Squire Deacon in a sentimental tone. Miss Faith, you doubtless recollect the tale? I hope, said Mr. Summers, ha, friend Deacon, you don't mean that Mr. Linden should look for a valley of diamonds in Patacoasset. Whereabouts does the valley lie, sir? said Mr. Linden. But the squire, as if a new idea had struck him, replied somewhat brusquely. It don't lie nowheres, sir, nowheres but in Fancy's field. I suppose, said Mr. Summers, smiling blandly, Mr. Linden's peculiar course of business don't lead him much into that field. You can strike into it most anywhere, said Miss Danforth. Mr. Linden's an early man. He'll find the Valley of Diamonds if it's in the town. Miss Faith told me there were stones enough here, he said, but she did not hint that any of them were precious. We shall expect, said Mr. Summers, to see some of our stones, I mean, some of our hard heads and thick heads, grow precious, or, uh, improve, under Mr. Linden's management. "'Pray, sir,' said Squire Deacon, suddenly recollecting that he was a trusty, "'what do you consider the best plan for the instruction of youth? What is your method?' Mr. Linden looked contemplatively out of the window. "'I think, sir, if the boys are very rough, I should first teach them manners. If they are smoother boys, I should teach them spelling.' If they have already learned spelling, I should let them read. The squire bowed. Quite satisfactory, sir. Mr. Summers, I think perhaps Mr. Linden would like to visit our little temple of literature. I should be very gratified to accompany Mr. Linden in viewing so much of Patacoset. I trust, Mr. Linden, that the highest, uh, the moral and religious teaching of the youth here will not be quite overlooked in your system. The reply that first rose to Mr. Linden's lips came not forth. He checked himself rather perhaps in deference to the subject than anything else, and simply answered, I trust not, sir. And with many low bows from the squire, the two gentlemen went into the hall, Mr. Linden following, but he came back the next moment to ask the dinner hour. We are as apt to have it at noon as any time, said Faith. Will that do, Mr. Linden? We could have it later. That will do perfectly. Only if the temple of literature opens and swallows me up, Miss Faith, don't wait, that's all and with a smile that was a strong contrast to the face he had bestowed upon the trustees, he went after them. End of Volume 1, Chapter 2